What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us here on the InsideCarolina.com Coast to Coast podcast. We are brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. What's up, everybody? Thanks for being here. Man, as we were recording this, it is November on your calendars. And when you're hearing this, it will still be November on your calendars. But that means we're actually starting college basketball in earnest. The banality of the offseason has ended. We are now officially getting into real games. The Tar Heels played an exhibition uh, just last week. We'll talk about that here in a second. But the guys that are here, that you're here to hear, the guys that you want to hear takes from, the guys that you want to hear info and insight from, Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan are with us as usual. Sherelle, how are you feeling? Good, man. Um, talking basketball, but my mind is on the football team, if I'm being honest. Absolutely. We <laughs> welcome anybody who is still on the football train. We strongly here at the Coast to Coast encourage you to be fans of both squads. Uh, be fans of all of the UNC sports, uh, but you don't have to, to split out and just be a UNC football fan or just be a UNC basketball fan. That actually kind of sticks in my craw, but um, Sean, how you feeling, dude? I'm doing well. Uh, excited that we're almost almost to the opening game. Yeah, man. Uh, as we record this uh, on Tuesday, the first, there will be real basketball the next time we come to you guys. So go ahead and brace <laughs> yourselves for that. That's going to be fun to discuss. So what has happened in the world of Inside Carolina or North Carolina basketball since the last time Inside Carolina brought you a podcast? Well, one of their top offered prospects, uh, Boogie Flan from New York, lead guard, uh, just finished his official visit at UNC. Sherelle, you posted uh, your visit intel today on the premium message boards. I got to say, I've never seen the words good vibes used as much as I did in reading that recap. But do you want to kind of give everybody what you what you heard from talking to to Mr. Fland and how you feel like, you know, next steps might look for, for this young man's recruitment? Uh, as much as you use good vibes, you also use encouraging or encouragement um, in describing how he redeemed. Davis coach. So that definitely came through in him watching the exhibition game and him being around for shoot around and those things during this day. So he was there from about uh, noon on Friday to mid morning on Sunday. So we, we've seen recently some players kind of do maybe 24 hours or, or 36 hours, but he kind of did a full official visit. Excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, I think the, the returns are really positive for UNC. If you look at his recruitment overall, he was supposed to come um, the original uh, live action night, which was September 28th, or excuse me, September 30th, I believe, somewhere around there. And he couldn't make it because of travel issues and everything. But still, he pushed forward, and a month later, he visited. The only official visit that he has scheduled or has taken, so that's big for North Carolina. You know, we talked about Isaiah Harwell, the 2025 player, and how he shut down kind of his recruitment um, for the season after the Carolina visit. That's always a positive thing when you can have that be the last thing that you remember. Um, and Flynn's doing the same thing. He said he might try to squeeze one out, you know, later on in the high school season, but they play Archbishop Stepanak, same school as RJ Davis, high school as RJ Davis. They play a very competitive schedule, a national schedule. So he wants to be completely focused on that. So that's one thing. Uh, North Carolina kind of set the, set the standard for what he should expect on official visits moving forward. I think um had some people kind of comment that maybe he was a little reserved and he is. He's a reserved uh, kid. I think he's 
maybe even a little shy, which I know is hard for people to believe that <laughs> these, you know, six, four people who look like grown adults, it can be a little shy, but they are sometimes, but I think overall he had a good time. Um, the information behind the scenes matched that, that he had a good time. And so now it's just a matter of, of moving forward and UNC continuing to recruit him. Um, you can get kind of more detail uh, in that story that we posted yesterday. Um, and this is a recruitment that is not going to end anytime soon, more than likely. So again, the fact that North Carolina is the only thing in his head right now and the last thing in his head, um, I think speaks well and, and bodes well for them. And for your context about his comments for folks that are feeling like, you know, he was a little reserved or a little kind of maybe held some things back or played things close to the vest. Just remember how reserved and quiet Tyler Hansborough was when he first got to North Carolina and how, you know, I mean, some people have been set aloof to a point. So these kids aren't necessarily always the brash, flashy person that you see uh, in highlight reels on their on their mixtapes and on their their highlight videos. Uh, but I think that's really good insight. Guys, that's really all the recruiting news we have right now because the team's focus is fully on the season and getting these guys ready for their first games. As we know, the first real game will come up against UNCW here very soon. Uh, they did, however, have an exhibition game in the Smith Center last Friday night that hosted Johnson C. Smith. The tie there, obviously, you've probably heard that uh, both of Coach Hubert Davis's parents are alumni of Johnson C. Smith, so he wanted to kind of to make that tie and, and bring those in. And I do think it's a good thing to see uh, HBCUs getting a chance to play the Tar Heels and vice versa. But uh, the Tar Heels won in, in what everybody would expect would be uh, pretty convincing fashion, 101-40. to 40. Guys, rather than getting you to break down individual things about this game, I just want to ask you what your major takeaways were from watching this because I think we all went into it expecting a Tar Heel win in dominant fashion. That's what we got. We did not get to see uh, Cam Johnson – I'm sorry, Puff Johnson. It's not the first or last time I'll do that this year, by the way. We did not get to see Puff Johnson, R.J. Davis, or um, or, or uh, Jalen Washington. Those kids would, uh, as Hubert Davis said, would have played if the game mattered, at least with R.J. Davis and, uh, and, and Puff Johnson. But I'm going to go to you first, Sean. What were your overall takeaways having watched the Tar Heels, this iteration of the Tar Heels, in their first action? I think my, my main takeaway was probably the – the word we referenced the most from November through through March of last year was uh, ball movement. And I think that was, you knew it was going to be a mismatch from a talent perspective, uh, but I was really curious how was Pete Nance going to look? How were the, the freshmen going to look? Uh, and how were the sophomores going to look? I think Armando and, and Caleb, like you, you don't really need to watch them in that type of game to, to, to learn a whole lot. Uh, but the ball movement, you know, the ball is moving extremely, extremely well. And I think that's a huge thing because it goes to chemistry, which I think for this team is going to be the one of the main question marks of can they get to where they did last year and, and win a championship versus where we were at la this time last year, talking about the big improvements that RJ Davis and Caleb Love needed to make from their freshman and sophomore year. And we've talked about it with Pete Nance and his ball movement. I mean, you saw it with Armando was was moving the ball well, maybe almost almost too well. Where hopefully once the season begins, we'll start looking for the shot a little bit more. Uh, but then also with the the freshmen, and they were taking shots that came to them, not forcing the issue. And I think trying to integrate new members that's always the thing. If if they're forcing forcing the shots or taking bad shots, then that could 
that could cause cause some issues, but I think it goes to personalities that Hubert recruited from Pete Nance versus maybe other transfers, um, as well as some of the freshmen knowing that hey, this is what the team did last year. We have to work ourselves we have to work extremely hard to to get in the fold. And we can't do that by forcing forcing shots or, or not passing the ball. The point about ball movement is is really obvious for folks that, that didn't catch the game and want to go back and see it. I can remember early in the season last year where, you know, when Caleb Love was on the ball, there would be times where he would almost kind of pound it into the he just grind it into the, the, the wood and, and the ball would stop, you know, at the perimeter. And, and you just don't want to see that. And I agree with you. One thing that you saw Friday night was just a lot of reversal, a lot of quick movement, a lot of like one touch type stuff where guys knew what they wanted to do before they got it. Uh, and I do. I, I think that's a that's a great observation. Sherelle, what were some things that you took away just in watching this scrimmage and, and or scrimmage, just watching this exhibition and and things that just jumped off the screen at you immediately? I think to Sean's point, um, you know, we talked all year about Brady Manick being the guy who helps move the ball. And we've also talked about how Brady Manick and Pete Nance aren't the same player. But when it comes to passing, they're very similar in that they keep the ball moving. They look for the open guy. They're very smart. They know what they're doing. They're experienced. So I think that came through a lot um, that Nance and, and Baycott can definitely work together. So that was one thing you're looking at because that's, I mean, the majority of North Carolina's minutes, I think, on the court are going to have Baycott and Nance playing together. So their chemistry is definitely going to be a huge storyline for the season. And then I, I think kind of the return of the specialist is something that I, I, I think I see perhaps, you know, we'll see what happens as they develop depth. But, you know, Seth Trimble came in and it, it was almost like Hubert Davis said, okay, go frustrate that guard. And he was like, okay, gotcha, coach. And he frustrated the guards. He had a couple steals. He finished in transition. That is his specialty on this team when he's not needed to be more. Same thing with Tyler Nickel. You know, his, obviously, I think we all saw that, you know, defense is something that needs to improve. It, it needs to improve for a lot of freshmen, not named Seth Trimble. Um, but he came in, and on some of those reversals, uh, some of the passes from Nance and, and stuff, he came in and knocked down open shots. So can he be, in his first year, when he's not required to do more, be a three-point specialist? Um, DeMarco Dunn, kind of the same thing. Can he come in and be that specialist who helps out shooting and, and ball movement and stuff? Um, in instances where maybe R.J. Davis is in foul trouble or something. So it kind of echoes what we've already talked about a few times in the offseason, but especially those three guys. Um, and then as Justin McCoy um, comes back as well, can they all be specialists in, in something that gives them minutes? And I think, obviously, you know, caveat, level of competition and all that, I think you see the makings of, that those guys can do that. I want to go ahead and confirm now we're officially making – the hashtag, and I've I've used it a little bit on social, but it's officially for this show now. Hashtag Tyler Nickel is a bucket. Because as Sherelle just pointed out, during ball reversals, he showed he is not afraid of the moment. Again, the moment is not but so big in an exhibition at home against Johnson C. Smith. Uh, and no disrespect to them. But Tyler Nickel well, showed in his first minutes that he is absolutely fine taking any shot uh, in his first glimpse at the floor. Go ahead, Sherelle. As that's the thing. It, it might as well have been Game 7, or it might as well have been the Final Four. Right. Because he's not going to play any different from Johnson C. Smith to UNCW to Michigan to Duke to playing at Cameron. It's going to be the same thing. Uh, so I think that is a, a positive. Obviously, he probably won't you know shoot as well and <laughs> won't play as many minutes, I would imagine, as he did in the exhibition game. But it's there. And, and I think you know it's definitely something that will come in handy for UNC later on. 
Cheryl, I want to stay here with you. I think Sean alluded to it a little bit when he was talking about uh, when he was talking about chemistry earlier. But I saw I saw some older guys that were really quick to defer to some of the young guys when they were in there. And in past episodes of the show, we've talked about multiple times building program depth. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on how having guys that in a game scenario don't mind getting the younger guys off the snide and kind of getting them feeling themselves? Can you talk about how that how that helps to build that program depth that we've talked about before? Well, I mean, how many times have we said it on here and we've heard, you know, going back to Roy Williams and heard Hubert Davis talking about it, the basketball is mostly, aside from effort, is a game of confidence. And what better way for young players to get confidence than their senior and junior leaders and, and um, graduate transfer leaders to say, I believe in you. I'm going to give you the ball. Um, you know, make sure you do something good with it. And if you don't, I'm going to do it again. Segwaying back to Boogie Flan, that was one of the things that he talked about in the interview was how encouraging Hubert Davis and the entire team was, no matter what happened. He said he was watching, you know, he didn't name the player, but he said someone took a obviously bad shot. And he said, instead of like Hubert Davis, you know, screaming at him, which, so he said, instead of Hubert Davis only screaming at him, he like kind of got upset with him, but then gave encouragement. He saw the rest of the bench giving encouragement. So that kind of stuff, you know, it does permeate locker rooms. We've seen it plenty of times. We saw it last year where just a little bit of confidence and belief in each other um, can create a snowball effect. And I, I think it's huge because if you go back to Caleb Love and RJ Davis and and that uh, class when they were freshmen, Armando Baycott and, and Cole Anthony when, when they were freshmen, they didn't really have, outside of Garrison Brooks, many people to kind of show them how to do things and how to be Carolina leaders. So finally, after three years, four years for Baycott, um, they've kind of figured it out. And now they're passing it on to this next crop with Styles and Dunn and Trimble and Shaver and Washington, et cetera. And you, you hope now that in two years, whoever is left from that group will be able to do the same thing. So I, to your point, um, I think it's huge because now you're starting to get continuity. You're starting to get kind of what North Carolina has been used to, you know, over the last 20, 25 years when for a stretch of three or four years there, it was just kind of guys cycling in and out after one year. Sean, you got something you want to add there? Yeah, I think you know that that's a fantastic point. Something we've we probably we talked about over the past few years, and even last year, where the team it was a question mark if they're going to make the tournament. It was a question mark who was going to be coming back from that team, and you're almost looking at another another reset. Uh, but to Shrell's point, you have a team. I mean, this is the team that, like '05 or '09 or 2017, is is they're pretty much fully coming back from a, a strong season and they have that opportunity, but um, you know, we've seen it. it. It's harder for programs like UNC or Villanova, UVA, et cetera, that are relying on the three to four year players versus the one and dones. And it's just a natural recycle. So the fact that there is a big freshman class and they are getting integrated along with some of the sophomores and other guys, I think ideally you can, UNC can be a team that, has a strong season this year and yes, there's, there's going to be a drop off <laughs> no matter what, but if you can minimize that drop off and if you can stay in that, you know, top three, four seating, like you've seen a Gonzaga or a Baylor do over the years, I think that that will be huge just from a long-term perspective. And for those who haven't seen it, CBS sports did release their top 100 players in college basketball today. Uh, Armando Baycott at three um, Caleb love, I believe was, in the top 10, and R.J. Davis was in the top 30. Uh, so that's that's something you can go check out if you'd like to. Sean, last question about the exhibition. 
you talked about uh, you talked about Seth Trimble's ability and and Shrill talked about Seth Trimble's ability to go kind of harass the other team's point guards. I saw a kid who we knew was strong, but seems to be able to finish at the rim and finish through contact and, and do well when he's you know trying to make his move with the ball in his hands. Knowing that that was a focus in the offseason for Caleb Love and something that we saw UNC really rely on from R.J. Davis uh, last spring down the stretch, do you think that could actually open things up for North Carolina's shooters a little bit? You mentioned earlier about our, uh, about Armando Baycott starting to to take some deeper shots as the season progresses. Can you kind of quantify what that means to be able to have three guys with the ball in their hands that are able to get to the cup with it? Well, I think that was the thing they, they didn't didn't have uh, really at all that ability to break down defenders and get to the basket. Um, I think they improved so much and, and maybe it's not in isolation situations, but in terms of the pick and roll, getting to the basket and finishing, um, you know, RJ really struggled as a freshman. We saw a lot of creative finishes or being able to get to the line using some veteran savvy last year. Caleb Love, I think that's going to be, that's really the deciding factor on, I think, his his ceiling this year um as well as the teams in terms of not not expecting ucla second half every every time but can he continue to get better versus what we saw uh freshman year and, and even a little bit last year as well driving to the basket kind of falling away avoiding contact not really that explosion unless he's in the open court and um you know then you have seth trimble who the most explosive player on the team by getting to the rim that that'll either make it easier for Armando or, or Nance and dump offs. I think we saw Nance have a, have a lot of easy, easy layups um, off the pass or, you know, for the guys that are, that are spotting up and now you have shooters um, that can, that can hit. So I think that also goes to, you know, one of the other things we'll be talking about in terms of how our team is playing leaky black. Are they playing a safety, uh, you know, in the paint, like we saw Kansas and, and Duke do where he's able to, once again, not shoot 40%, but knock down and be confident or at least move the ball quickly or attack. Uh, but once again, if you're able to get to the rim, that just opens it up for, for everybody. One of the things I think that is really big for this Tar Heel team and their unselfishness is that just as much as they distributed the ball against Johnson C. Smith, I would imagine they probably will be distributing uh, the Tar Heel uh, premium subscriber to Inside Carolina coupon for johnnytshirt.com. I'd imagine they're probably sharing that around themselves because exactly like when they, when they, you know, have, have maxed out their school issued gear, they're probably running and pulling that premium subscription coupon off the premium message boards that all inside Carolina subscribers get at Johnny t-shirt, Johnny t-shirt, big time supporters of inside Carolina, locally owned uh, alumni operated, just really, really good people. They are absolutely loving seeing you when you stop in like you did this past weekend for homecoming uh, to pick up some gear while you're in town. They love seeing you, you know, switch over of seasons right now. Leaves are falling, starting to get to some, you know, quarter zip weather, a little long sleeve type stuff, maybe a hoodie here or there. Johnny T-shirt's got you. Go nowhere else. Hit Johnny T-shirt up, johnnytshirt.com. Again, Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. If you don't know anybody on the team, Go to Inside Carolina Premium, get your coupon code there, and apply that at checkout from johnnytshirt.com. And tell them the Coast to Coast podcast sent you. If nothing else, just to let them know that we appreciate them. We're going to take a quick break, let the national guys run some advertisements, and we will be right back. Have a little fun. We're going to do some over-unders for the coming season. I'm going to put Sherelle and Sean on the spot. 
see if I can't extract some some prognostications out of these guys. We appreciate you listening to the Coast to Coast podcast. We'll be right back. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bad. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right, thanks for sticking around. We appreciate you joining us here on the Coast to Coast on InsideCarolina.com. Again, we can't be any closer to the start of the season than we are now, I guess, unless we were recording this literally minutes before the first tip-off. Guys, figured I'd take a different direction tonight since recruiting news is light and since we typically don't have a ton of real game action to talk about without belaboring an exhibition, I wanted to do some over-unders with you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to list an over-under. There will probably be a narrative behind it. And there's going to be some thought that you're going to need to use to, to kind of come up with where you land on this. Maybe we'll record these. Maybe we won't. But mainly this is just for the, the listening pleasure and viewing pleasure of our audience. See if we can get them thinking. But mainly just to put you guys on the spot. So I'm going to throw out some over-under numbers for you. And I'll let you guys decide where you go from here. Uh, Sherelle, since you were on first tonight when we got ready to record, you get the honors. First one. Over under season total wins for the Tar Heels this year, twenty eight point five. I'm gonna go under. Okay. Uh, just you know, stuff happens. You know, you have a bad shooting night. Someone, you know, has an ankle that keeps them out for a game. Um, you know, someone gets sick. You know, a lot of things happen. A guy from the opposing team has the game of his life and hits eight threes. You know, that kind of stuff happens. And <laughs> I do, I do wonder uh, moving forward, like just the motivation. I know they're saying all the right things, but I, when you've, when you've done what these guys have done, um, I can't just can't imagine how difficult it is to get up for a game in mid December against, you know, random team X, you know, or team Y. So that's why I'm going under just because I think they're humans. They're not robots and somebody will have an amazing shooting night and that'll get them to, you know, their, I guess that would be six losses or five losses. Um, Somewhere the season. Yeah. I think they've got, yeah. I think they've got a, 30 regular season games. So you figure, you know, three in the ACC tournament, uh, however many in the NCAA tournament, that'll put them right about, uh, that'll put them right about 28 and 11 if they were to make the final four or something like that. Well, okay. Now you're talking about the entire season, including the tournament. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Full season. Oh, I'll go over that. Sorry. I was thinking the regular season because I was like, that's, they don't have 31 games, right? Hang on. Let's get, I'll tell you what, we'll keep it at regular season. We'll keep it regular season and ACC tournament. So you're looking at potential of 33 games, 34 if they get bumped to the the dreaded first day of the of the ACC tourney. Yeah, still under for that. Still under. Okay. Yeah. Sean, same thing. 28.5 wins for regular season plus ACC tournament. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under just uh, in in terms of how few losses that that actually actually is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what were they at? Last year, twenty nine uh, after five five wins uh, in the in the tournament. So, you know, plus plus UVA six twenty three. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I think I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under on that one as well. Um, I think they'll they'll last year in the ACC fifteen and and five. I think they maybe. I think they increase increase that. Uh, but I think I think I mean twenty eight and a half. That's uh, 
that that's very tough to do in, in a power five conference. Yeah. And also keep in mind, we're basing this off of what, you know, a lot of expectations are going to be for this squad this year. Um, so here's another one. I'll stick with you. And, and these first two are kind of abstracts, right? After this, we'll start getting into some stuff that has real tan, uh, real tangible data behind it. But uh, Sean, I'm gonna stay with you here. Number of different starting lineups used by Hubert Davis this year, over or under 4.5? Oh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully under, because that's going to mean some injuries uh, occurred if if over. But number of starting lineups, different starting lineups, under. Okay, Cheryl, same question. Yeah, uh, unless there's injuries under 100%. Um, I guess I'm. my thought was that I'm probably basing basing that number a little high just because of, of COVID and flu. I always feel like there's a, a flu outbreak on the team at some point during the year where somebody gets a stomach bug and you got one or two guys that are selling Buicks in the locker room before the game that you know, may or may not make it out there. So um, both of you guys going under on that one, all right? And I know, I know fans would love to hear that. All right, here we go. Starting to get into the specific uh, statistical-based ones. Armando Baycott double-doubles on the year. Sherelle, I'll stay with you here. Last year, he had 31, which tied the NCAA record for a season. All right? This year, I'm setting it at 22.5. Are you going over or are you going under? And this will be uh, whole season plus postseason because that's what that 31 last year was. That was all the way through the final game of the year. What was the number again? Uh, he had 31 last year. I'm setting this year at 22.5. I'm going to go under. Uh, just because I think there'll be some games where, you know, Pete Nance gets a lot of time at center. I think mm -hmm. UNC didn't really have a, a real option at center mm -hmm. opposite Baycott last year. So maybe he'll get, you know, if he gets three or four minutes of rest extra per game than he got last year, then that takes away a lot of double-doubles. So I don't, I don't think it'll be drastically different, but I think it'll be just enough to, you know, keep him at seven or eight for a few games as opposed to 11 or 12. Right. Sean, same question. Number is 20, um, 22 and a half. 22 and a half as I scrolled th through some numbers last <laughs> year, and I'm going over on that one. And right. putting a, we have our first discrepancy between you guys. All right. Put, putting a, a, a favorite five-star lock on that one. Not, not, not lock. I take that back. Five-star bet on that one. All right. Five units. I hear you. Um, and Sherelle kind of got where my head was going with this. I think that there could be some situations this year where just because Armando is not playing as much, specifically earlier in the year, where Hubert Davis is trying to get some other guys some minutes, uh, and he didn't have that luxury last year, to your point, Sherelle. So we'll uh, we'll and, see where. Go ahead. And Leaky is a really good rebounder from the wing. So I, I don't know. I just I just feel like one, there's not going to be as many missed shots because I think there'll be better ball movement right. and overall better team. Um, and then for the reasons you know we said above. So we'll see. Sean Sean said it's a lock. So I, I guess some. Yeah, he did. I mean, we no, got no. a different. <laughs> When the man back. breaks out the SCLPL, if, if he drops the SCLPL, we got to step away. Uh, <laughs> next one, and this is one I think our listeners and, and viewers and Inside Carolina subscribers are going to really appreciate. Caleb Love, three-point percentage for the season. <laughs> he shot 36% last year. I'm setting this year at 36 and a half. All right, so I'm trying to make it easy on you, but it's still a pretty tough question between both of you to figure out. Sean, where are you going to fall? Oof, that, that is a tough one because uh, he was – he was shooting much better than that, uh, you know, coming into the, the latter part of the season. Mm -hmm. But I am going to go under. And 
I think it'll be slight, you know, hopefully it's 38, 39%, which I could easily see, but I'm going to go around 30, 35, 36. So for a slight under, There's which gonna, is going to be, a, it's going to be a big volume that he's taking. Uh, exactly. Sherelle, how you feel about that one? Yeah, I'm going to go over uh, <clears throat> just because I think confidence again is a big thing. And the stuff he did to end the season, I think that takes you to a different level. You know, I, I don't want to bring up his name, but we've seen players who have those huge, gigantic <laughs> moments in March take that to the next season and really just kind of um, go to the next level. And it's hard for people to see Caleb going to the next level, but there's a lot of, of room for improvement for him. And I think that's one of the one of the areas. I think it'll mostly be, again, they're saying all the right things about shot selection and efficiency and all that. Um, but I think that, that's where it will come from and that he'll, he'll take better shots and he won't do as much um, – you won't have to yellow as much this season as he did last year. It's like our man Bill Raftery says. Water. He's talking about Sibuyas for mm-hmm. our Spanish-speaking audience. The man's got him. We know that. All right, next one. Sean, you just threw a stat up in the chat. Is that, is that your prediction? <laughs> You're locking yourself in no, your prediction? I was saying another, not to ruin your flow, but staying on Caleb, he shot 38% from two last year, which was an increase from, I think, 30 30, just under 35% as a freshman. Um, if you put the over under at 40% from two, what, what would you say? Oh man, turning the, how the turntables. <laughs> um, I, I think he's, I think he's going to do better shooting from two this year, just shot selection and confidence and knowing that he can get to the rim. Since again, that's something he's, he said that he's worked on all off season. I'm going to take him at his word. All right. I'm claiming the microphone back. Uh, stay with you here, Sean. R.J. Davis minutes per game. Last year, he averaged 34. Uh, this year, I'm setting it slightly under 33 and a half. Where do you fall? Um, that's a good, another good one. Um, I didn't want these to be softballs, bro. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under. I think that's that's hoping that you know he's getting some rest and Trimble and some others are getting time, but. I do think that could easily turn into an over once once the numbers start ticking up come February and March, as I, I think uh, it won't be hard for Hubert to get back to a shorter rotation come that time. But I think it'll probably start off and it'll it'll end just a little bit under. Shrill over under RJ Davis minutes per game at 33 and a half and your rationale, please. Uh, I'm going to go over. Um, actually, for the same reason that Sean went under. I just think... <laughs> Um, How does that work? <laughs> well, as, as the season ramps up, he's going to play more. And I think they don't have as many um, what you would call gimme games okay. you know, that, than they usually do. <clears throat> There's a lot of big-time matchups in November and December for them. And so the times that you would think he would play maybe 25 or 26 or 27 minutes in the past, I do think it'll be up around 33 and 34. And once you get to the ACC, you know, um, you're going to want to have... Out. <laughs> yeah, you're going to want to have R.J. Davis and Caleb Love because it's something else I want to get to. Uh, you're going to want to have them on the court because who's who's the third shooter on this team? Do, do we know who that is yet or if there is one? So you're going to want to play them as much as possible to keep offensive balance. So um, that's why I'm going over because I think just over the course of the season, um, there's not as many gimme games. And then I think to Sean's point, we'll get back to a, a tighter rotation, I would imagine, um, come deep ACC play. Fair enough. See, I love asking you guys this because I would have – I would have thought that the staff would hope to play him less minutes, but uh, you both make pretty sound arguments, even though you're both arguing different sides of the coin. Uh, next one, team assists per game. All right, this was the number last year when I was doing the research. 
Last year, they averaged 14.9 assists per game, which a lot, actually was higher than I thought it would be. Um, and, and it, you know, apropos of nothing, uh, this year I'm going to set it at 17 and a half. And, and uh, you know, I'll let you guys decide where you fall for that. Cheryl, I'll come to you first. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to say over. Oh, you said Sean? I'm sorry. No, that's, that's a true. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say over just because I think uh, Hubert Davis has done a good job of, of getting Caleb's ear. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think his two-point percentage will be higher because mm-hmm. he's not going to take some of those tough shots. He's going to drop it off to Nance or Baycott. I think we'll see more of that this year. Um, so really, if you just give Caleb two more assists a game um, and then, you know, P. Nance say he gets two or three, then you're right back at your at your 17 if everybody else stays the same. Um, and don't forget, Linky's a very good passer too. So uh, I'm going to go over. Yep. Sean, what about you? Uh, um, I am... Yeah, that's, that's a pretty definitely expected to increase. That's a pretty high number, uh, especially knowing that there were some games where the the turnovers outpaced the assist um, amount. I'll go over as well. Um, going back to the ball movement concept that we talked about earlier. All right. So this segues nicely into the follow up. Um, and, and for the record, my thought process there, not that anybody cares, but my thought process was kind of they would increase a little bit just because of chemistry and the issues that you guys mentioned or the the traits that you guys mentioned earlier in the show uh, about the exhibition. All right, so dovetailing into my next one, total turnovers for the season. Last year, this team turned the ball over 378 times. Uh, this year, I'm assuming they're going to cut down on that, or at least my thought process, they're going to cut down on that by a large amount. Uh, I'm going to set it at 300.5 for the year which would be a huge, huge cutback in, in turnovers. But, you know, there's a lot of things for you guys to think about there. So, Sean, how do you feel about that number uh, as as the year total for turnovers? Uh, I'm, I'm going over on the turnovers. Um, I, I think there, there's probably going to be, in general, more possessions than there were last year. Um, and I think with a, with a guard-dominant team, I think there's still going to be uh, turnovers, even though they did do a great job in the tournament of cutting it down, um, that's a pretty significant drop. So I'm going to go over. All right, Shrill. Yeah, I'm going to go over as well. I, I think you know a better team equals more possessions equals um, probably more players playing, which means more inexperienced players playing, which more than likely not means more turnovers. So that's my kind of my justification for it. I can I can see your logic change there. That's valid. Um, next one, opponent's field goal percentage, uh, something I think Hubert Davis is really harped on. If you read some of his quotes, uh, from the preseason and from, uh, the exhibition is, is really wanting this team to be better defensively. Uh, so an easy way to look at that. I just pulled out, uh, opponent's field goal percentage last year. They gave up 44.7% for the year. Uh, excuse me. And this year, I'm going to set that at 42 and a half. Sherelle, feel like you're going over or under there. 42 is low. That's that's some good defense. Uh, I'll Keep go under. Like... I'll go under. There you and go. My justification for that is I think um, the projected starting lineup, you have Leaky Black, who's pushing 6'9". You have mm-hmm. Armando Baycott, who's 6'10". And you have Pete Nance, who's also 6'10". Um, you know, RJ does a good job of trying to keep the ball in front of him. And then Caleb has the size as well to, to guard a lot of two guards. And then, you know, you bring someone like Seth Trimble off the bench who's kind of a, a defensive who's I call him a running back, you know, in a mm-hmm. point guard's body basically. 
um, I think you really have a chance to kind of smoke other opponents. And, and Dunn has a lot of size for a two guard as well. So I think it's going to be very difficult to shoot over the top of North Carolina. Um, they, they did so much better on rotations and, and open threes. And then if you try to drive in on them, you know, Pete Nance and Armando Baycott will likely be there. Um, and if you don't, if you kick it out, then you have either Leaky Black at 6'9 or Pete Nance at 6'10 running towards you as you try to shoot. So that's that's just difficult. So I'm going to go under. And that's not accounting for the backups on the wings either with Trez and, and Puff Johnson, who are right. also quite lengthy, as we saw. Right. Uh, value from them down in the tournament next year. Sean, same thing. 42 and a half. Again, I know it's a little aggressive, but where do you fall? Over or under? I'm going to go, I'm going to take advantage of your aggressiveness and go a little bit. I'm going to go over. Um, I think I agree with all of Sherelle's points, especially Leakey being able to lock down a defender. I mean, even that the first half of Kansas, you know, how much they, they, they Kansas struggled trying to find open looks, but uh we know UNC in historically, you know, offensive-minded team. We know how bad they were at uh, forcing turnovers last year, um, and I think, I, I think that they're still going to be an extremely strong offensive team. So I think defense will improve, and they will have the ability to shut down better. But uh, I, I think it's going to be higher than forty-two percent from opponent field goal percentage. All right. Sean, I'm going to stay here. I know we talked about Caleb Love's three-point percentage earlier. Uh, I did not realize uh, last year, I felt like this team shot the three a lot, and maybe that's a recency bias because Brady Manick was a heat-seeking missile for the entire month of March. Uh, but this team last year made 301 three-point field goals. This year, I'm setting it lower, uh, but, you know, at 272.5. Where do you fall there? Say that number again. 272.5. Last year's total was 301 three-point field goals made. Well, you're, you're losing about 100 from Brady right there. Um, you're probably going to get a little bit more from, from Caleb and RJ. Uh, Brady will be offset a little bit by Nance, but I definitely don't think he's shooting 45% from three. Goes to Sherrill's earlier question of where's the shooting coming from without Puff or DeMarco. I mean, you have Puff, DeMarco, Nickel, what are you going to get from Styles? Is a question. I'm you are go, going full Will Hunting on this, and I like it. I, and I just got got myself sidetracked, but um, I want to go under, but I'm going to go over just because I think the volume is going to be higher from the RJ and RJ and Caleb. Okay. Again, I can but see man, you working man, trying to trying to 100 threes from <laughs> Brady. That, that, I don't know. I feel like I just lost lost that bet. Without no, that was that was my played. thought. I, I that was my thought. And when I saw that number of three hundred one from last year, I really felt like it would be higher just because Brady's was so high. But Sherelle, over under two hundred seventy two point five made threes for the season. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm gonna go over. Yeah. I'm gonna go over. I don't think it'll be three hundred one, but I'm gonna go over. And okay, um, the reason is I think. As Sean said, Caleb Love, I think, will shoot better um, from three. I think R.J. Davis will shoot better from three. And then I think, you know, we're assuming that Hebrew Davis is going to play guys a little bit more than he did last year, maybe go deeper into his bench. And DeMarco Dunn and Tyler Nickel are both known or came into college being known for their outside shooting. Um, So I think there'll be more opportunities in my mind, if I'm constructing this argument, there'll be more opportunities for them. Um, in addition to 
uh, the increased volume for um, RJ and, and Caleb. And then Puff can shoot too um, if he can stay healthy. So I think, you know, if you're, you're trying to replace, you know, like Sean said, basically 100 threes, then you have five guys to do it. So you're looking at, you know, a 20, a 23, 20 made three pointers increase per person. Um, I know it doesn't exactly come out like that, but I think that's doable for UNC. So I'm, I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go over 272, but not 301. Fair enough. You're going to get to try to hit a middle there. I appreciate you. All right, guys, last thing. And, and again, Shrill, you did a great job of segueing this. Um, Tyler Nickel minutes per game. All right. And so I didn't have anything to base that off of from last year, but where I assumed he would fall in the rotation was about in the same place as a Justin McCoy who played seven minutes a game last year. So I'm going to set Tyler Nichols minutes per game this year at 5.5. Shrill, knowing what we know about the squad, are you going over or under 5.5 minutes a game for Tyler Nichols this year? Silence is deafening. Um, is Puff going to be healthy the whole season? Can you tell me uh, that? I think we're just talking about this one number here. I, I can't give uh, you the the over under for the for the Bill Steelers game, and you ask me, you know, what's the Redskins <laughs> total going to be? So I I still go over. Um, okay. I think he'll I think he'll be in that seven eight minute range. Um, I think he'll carve out enough of a role as a kind of a three point specialist as a freshman that they'll want to get him some minutes. It, it might not be uh, against Michigan. It might not be in some of the big games, but I think against the UNCWs and some of the ACC games where maybe they're up, you know, 15 in the first half, they might give them two or three minutes there, two or three minutes in the second half. So I, I could see him getting to, to seven or eight. So I'll go over. Okay. Sean, same thing. I mean, per ESPN, DeMarco Dunn was at 4.1 last year, but I think there, there will definitely be games where he doesn't get off the bench, but I think, which doesn't, doesn't count against this. So I'll, I'm going to go over, over five and a half. And I think, you know, can Puff be counted on for the the whole year? Would love to see it because I think he can have a, you know, he can have the freshman to sophomore year jump since mm -hmm. he didn't really play much as an actual freshman. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna go over because I think his shooting and ability to hit shots could could come in handy um, during certain games. Yeah. So the scenarios I think when I was setting these up and hearing you guys talk about them. So for our listeners, the scenarios are fun to think about, right? Like think about how Hubert Davis might find a way to start deploying Tyler Nichol as a specialist, like to Sherelle's point, you know, as just a three-point assassin. Uh, think about the ways he may find uh, to use Seth Tremble just to go in and harass the other team's ball handler. And that's, I think that's, that's one of the things about this time of the year is, you know, everybody's optimistic, but also if you want to really get creative and think about how some of these things may materialize, it could be kind of cool. So appreciate you guys humoring me and, and playing that playing along there. I think that's uh I think that was a fun exercise. Hopefully our listeners and our viewers appreciate it as well. Uh fellas, before we get out of here today, anything else we want to throw out there? Cheryl, you got two cents for me? Yeah, so don't listen to anything I say. Uh there was a player on the team last year who I thought was gonna shoot like forty eight percent from three and <laughs> it did not come close to happening. So <laughs> just take everything I say with a grain of salt. The other thing on the recruiting front, uh James Brown, who officially visited UNC a couple weeks ago, is at Illinois uh this coming weekend. It's his fifth official official visit of his junior year. He told us after the UNC visit, um, that once he finished up with Illinois, he and his family would kind of regroup and, and see where to go next. So he said that could be a decision or it could be shortening a list or it could be to set a time frame. 
but uh, we'll, we'll find out, I would imagine, in the next couple of weeks. And then uh, signing day is next Wednesday for um, the 2023 class, the first time they can sign. Oh, man. I I totally forgot there was even a a November signing day now nowadays. That's crazy. Um, and I know that, you know, football's always has kind of moved everything up to their December date. But, yeah, it's almost – it's crazy now to think about UNC can now get their, their kids to sign uh, for the 23 class. So – That'll be interesting to see. Sean, do you have uh, two cents you'd like to add before we get out of here? Sure. Don, uh, Dontrez Styles, we didn't really talk much about. I know in the in the exhibition, start off a little slow, then hit some jumpers. Uh, when when minutes are limited off the bench, you know, I think is he gonna is he gonna only be getting one or two shots, and they're only from the outside, or will he be able to get to the rim and, and showcase his athleticism, which will open stuff up from the outside afterwards. Uh, but definitely interested to see how how his growth hopefully continues. Uh, and then going back to your earlier question around the defensive field goal percentage. So last year on Kempom, UNC finished I think 35th defensively, but there was a large part of that year where they were in the 90s, 90s, hundreds, and then had that strong improvement at the end. Uh, you know, not to mention 356 out of 358 in uh, what what's Sherelle's uh, favorite statistic turnover turnover percentage so mm -hmm. you know they, they they still they need to bring that type of intensity and effort from the be from the beginning and sure it's not going to be every game uh but to be that complete team which we did see throughout march what type of defensive effort will they will they be uh bringing across the board yeah man we opened multiple podcasts last winter uh, specifically around the end of of 2021's calendar year about just how bad Carolina's defense was. So uh, absolutely great context there. Appreciate you throwing that in before we get out of here. Guys, as always, this is so much fun. I hope our listeners and viewers have as much fun with these as we do. Uh, and if you are, make sure you drop us that uh, five-star review. Give us a good rating on on iTunes or Spotify or uh, Google Play, wherever it is that you're getting your podcast feeds. We'd appreciate it. If you don't like what we're doing, hey, give us drop us a note. Um, you know, we know we're not for everybody. I know that uh, different strokes for different folks, but we want to make sure that we're trying to put together shows that you guys like and shows that you guys appreciate and holding a high standard that you've come to expect from inside Carolina. But I want to give a shout out to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring the show. Shout out to John Siegley for producing the show. Shout out to Sherelle and Sean for making the show. I mean, Sherelle was, this, this might've been Sherelle's flu game. I mean, we talked before the game. He said, you know, say it was a little under the weather, um, you know, didn't know that if if the game were today he would not play, um, but here he is. He he stepped it up and 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 was a was an absolute gamer for us. So we appreciate it. But for Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran, I'm Joey Powell. This has been Inside Carolina's Coast to Coast Podcast. We will catch you next time. <laughs>